morning. You're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm Mubaraka Ibrahim, and this is Mornings with Mubaraka, where we talk about national issues from a local level through a lens of diversity. So we are in show two of the year, and I want to welcome you. And hopefully your 2017 is going awesome because so far, so good this year. So today we are going to talk a little politics. We're going to talk a little news. We're going to talk a little bit about um, uh, policing. We're going to talk about community. We're going to talk about a little bit of a lot of things. So I want you to join in the conversation. So as you join in the conversation, you can do a couple of things in order to join. So um, the first thing that I'm going to tell you that you can do is you can actually, I'm going to go live on um, my own Facebook page because I was having a little technical issues on the Morning with Mubaraka radio page. So we're live on Facebook and you can comment um, there or you can also uh, give me a call. Give me a call and tell me what you think about some of the things that we're going to be talking about today. So one of the things that um, so we've we've had a lot of things in the news. So since the last week, so I talk to you every Wednesday morning and uh, in the last week, we've had a lot of things in the news. It's been sort of kind of, mm, I would say, bittersweet. It's been a little uh, bittersweet for us. Uh, we have, um, I guess, the last, the the not the last, but one of the things that's been on everybody's mind and everybody's talking about on Facebook and on Twitter is the um, nomination uh, sessions of Jeff Sessions um, as Attorney General of the United States and. That has been a little bit heart-wrenching, so I'm going to talk about that a little bit because um, I'm not going to dwell on it because it's not a very positive um, topic for me to talk about, but we have to talk about it because it is um, so significant in the way that uh, our next four years will go. The Attorney General of the United States has a lot of um, powers in terms of policing, in terms of uh, setting laws and um, policy or setting policies for uh, um, policing and um, the FBI and and it's it's a really powerful position and um, we really have someone who is up to be nominated who could set us back in civil rights by decades. And that's very, very concerning. So as I was watching part of, and so I couldn't watch the entire thing, so I was watching part of the um, the nomination hearings and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, like as he's talking is like, are these senators and Congress people actually listening to what he's saying? Because he would say something that to me is very disturbing. And then the next person that came up was like, well, I have no doubt that you're going to be confirmed. And on my mind, I'm thinking to myself, well, geez, at least you can make us think that you're going to think critically about this. And you have not already confirmed him before he's been confirmed and before he's actually answered the questions. And people have have gotten an idea of where he stands. So much of what he said was not surprising. It He he seems to um, 
be pretty much the same stance on things that he's always <laughs> had a stance on uh, when he was asked the question about having um, more scrutiny for people coming in the United States. Uh, his response was similar to and I'm not quoting verbatim was well, we don't want people coming in or we would have to scrutinize people with um, extreme um, views. But who defines what an extreme view is? And is there like going to be a test? Do you have to like take an exam before you come into the United States? Um, and we already have and let's let's not be mistaken that we already have an, a very uh, strict strict. Uh, screening process for anyone, particularly refugees coming into the United States, right? So there's an 18 month uh, process of extensive background searches for any refugee coming to the United States in particular. Um, and as well as people who are asking to immigrate to the United States. So that was actually quite concerning. Some of his past concepts of, um, making comments such as the NAACP being un-American and um, he had there is a, 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 a someone testified in court that he uh, referred to um, a black attorney as a boy. He told a uh, a person who was a, another lawyer who was white, who was defending um, who was prosecuting the KKK, that he was a traitor to his race. Like having said those type of comments, you can understand how minorities in this country are very, very apprehensive or extremely apprehensive of Jeff Session actually being nominated. And that's a huge concern for us, right? Because people, a person's character, I think that this election more than any other election, both the president, particularly the presidential election. And as we go into nominations is more about people's character than anything. And it should always have been about that. But for a lot of people, I think more people than normal than we regularly see are more concerned about people's character and rightfully so. Because you do not separate the person that you are to do a job, right? So um, one of the things that I do give him props for is recognizing the fact that he would uh, he would recuse recuse himself if there was any prosecution of uh, Hillary Clinton or the Clinton Foundation because he would have some. Um, what did he? How did he phrase it? There would be a a a view of impropriety on his part. And he doesn't want to give that, uh, that um, get, give that view that he made because of some of the, 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 the comments that he's made in the past. And so in my mind, I'm thinking like, well, what about all of the other comments is the only thing that you feel like you can, because if we go by the comments you've made in the past, you could just like recuse yourself from the entire nomination process <laughs> because we're talking about character here. So that is something that we definitely have to watch. We want to, um, we want to make sure that we, our voices are heard. So this is a part of what I want to talk about today is really what do we do now, right? So we have everything going forward despite our protests, despite us getting upset and yelling at the Electoral College. Everything is still going forward, right? 
it's not changing. So what can we do as individuals? What do we do now going forward? Um, So turning that, using that as a pivot point, let's talk a little bit about uh, President Barack Obama's farewell speech last night. It was absolutely moving and profound. And if you followed me for any amount of time, you know that I am a fan of the president, right? <laughs> you know that I I am a fan of the president. Is he a perfect person? No. Has all of his policies been uh, perfect and he gave everybody what they wanted? No, of course not. Um, but he is And I stand by the best president that we have ever had in the United States. Right. I really stand by that Um, thus far. Right. Thus, I I think that his presidency has been. um, It has been not just an inspiration, but I mean, what president can we remember that has gone eight years, not four, but eight years in that one personal scandal like. Just name one. Right. We can't even name one. (laughs) Not well, I'm 40, not really in my lifetime (laughs) or his wife or his daughters. So when we talk about character, that's what I'm talking about. That's the character to lead. Um, And of course, what all of the rage is, I'm like seeing this all over my social media feeds. Everybody like he gave probably what a 45 minute speech and all of the news people have taken out just a little part about that. He when he spoke to his wife, when he spoke to uh, our first lady, Michelle Obama, because that was, of course, the most moving. I think that one of the, the aspects that make that made it so Moving is not only is he giving public recognition to his rock, to his support system, but he did it in such a way that even he he was so deeply touched that he had to hold back tears and wipe away tears. Uh, And their daughter was crying. And so all of that was really, really, uh, really moving. I think that, uh, of course, I'm a woman, so I think men should give more public recognition to their wives. Maybe it's a woman thing. <laughs> um, but that, of course, was um, one of the, the more moving things. But one of the, one of the, the things that um, I think that I'm going to take with me is his call to action. And the call to action that he made throughout, um, throughout his speech was to continue to if you can run for office, run for office, if you can organize, organize, if you can uh, go out and vote, go out and vote that you have to take action. And that is really um, a part of the stint of my stint today for for this show. So that's kind of like what's in the news that's been a. Uh, that's been uh, going around. So one of the things that we want to talk about today is today's show or the the bulk of today's show is I want to talk about politics and policing. Right. So when we talk about action steps and I'm going to tell you why. So a, a lot of people may say, well, this is kind of random. Why are we talking about politics and policing? And I think that it's not random. I think that we have to recognize that just because a shooting is not on the front page of the paper or it's not trending in our news feed doesn't mean that it's not happening. I think that now is the best time to talk about it because we tend to be very reactionary, right? So 
something happens as far as police brutality or shooting and then we have protests and where everybody's up in a rage and then something else comes across your newsfeed and we forget. And not that we are completely forgetting about that, but there's no action taken beyond that. And we cry. We have to change the systematic injustice. And so today we are going to talk about what exactly is systematic injustice when it comes to policing, right? And if you have a comment, you can, I'm on Facebook Live, you can comment on Facebook Live. You can also give me a call at 203-872-7356. So we're going to talk and we're going to talk about this. So I don't want, so this is what I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do in the show, right? We know what the problem is. We have blogs and articles and, and reports and now whole movies about this systematic injustice. But what is the action steps, right? There was a wonderful woman here in New Haven, um, Jackie Bracey, who I attended a community meeting once and she said something that will stick with me for the rest of my life. And she said, let the walkers walk and let the talkers talk because everybody has a job to do. Right. So everything isn't for everybody. And I think that that stuck with me because apparently I'm a talker. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm not necessarily a walker. I don't march a lot. (laughs) I'm a talker. But that's the that is the, the part, the job that I can do and that I intend on doing right to use my to use my voice in order to, uh, bring light to, to action, to, um, the things that we can do. So today is all about action steps. And so one of the so one of the discussions that I wanted to have with you guys today was really about what do we do as citizens, right? What can we do as citizens to change the system? So I think that this is important, particularly in our political time, because one of the things about having the type of administration that we have um, that was duly elected is I really believe that the way that we are going to survive this is we have to bring our efforts local, right? So there may not, there's, we can call, we can complain, we can have our voice heard on to our senators and our Congress people and our representatives. But what is the action steps that we need to take in order to secure our own communities, our own towns, our own cities, our own states. And I think that that is going to be the way that we survive it. And one of those things is really taking care of home first, right? So this is, this is really important when it comes to things like police brutality Often we are up in a rage about the officer should be charged, the officer should be fired. And all of those things I completely agree with. But it does not solve the problem. That is a bandage. So you're just going to wait until an officer in a department kills somebody or maims somebody and then we're going to put a red flag on him. How do we red flag that before it happens, right? So the goal is to prevent it from happening, not just fire the officer after he's done that, right? So there's some, I think some very specific things that we can do when we talk about, um, when we talk about the system of policing, 
And I'm going to give a disclaimer here. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> my disclaimer is that I am the wife of a police officer. <laughs> so that is my disclaimer. Um, but I'm also the wife of a black man. And I am the mother of black men. And I am the sister of a black man and the daughter of a black man. So um, I have two perspectives to 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 this um, dilemma that I see that we face. And so I figured, you know, if I can say something that can benefit somebody that could um, if you can just take one thing that you feel like you can implement or you can find out or become more educated in your particular community, then it's worth saying to me. Um, so that's my disclaimer. So I try not to be biased because I think the biasness is on both ends. Right. I'm both the 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 mother, sister and wife of black men, but I'm also the wife and friend of many police officers. So that that's a I have kind of like a, a twofold here going on. So one of the things that when we talk about uh, police brutality in, in general, um, the first thing that comes up is obviously that police are they're they're a gang and they don't look at people, particularly in minority neighborhoods, as being fully human. Um, and so one of the so if you've listened to me before, you know, we like to reverse engineer. <laughs> That's going to be a kind of like my thing. Right. With everything. How do you instead of putting a bandage on something, let's reverse engineer it as far as we can, right, that we as citizens have the ability to, and what can we change in that process, right? So the first thing that we have to look at is how are, what is the, what's going on in your particular community? And I say this a lot to people because the internet makes us feel like um, the world is small, right? And so we see what happened in Ferguson, and then after they released the Report on Ferguson, we found they found this uh, gross system of of discrimination and targeting and racism within the Ferguson Police Department. That is not every police department in the United States. And that is what we have to realize. You need to look at your police department. So the first thing is to bring yourself locally. Everybody is not Ferguson. Everybody is not the NYPD. Everybody is not the New Haven Police Department. It actually changes from city to city. So one of the things when you think about the national policy of policing, the biggest problem right now is that there is no national policy of policing. You know, it was interesting. I had a um, a conversation, well, a comment conversation <laughs> with somebody on Facebook uh, a few months ago, and she lived in our area and her, um, I guess her nephew or cousin was chased by the police and um, she said, well, and it was a, a neighboring town. I can't believe if it was I can't remember if it was Hamden or if it was West Haven. And she's like, well, what happened to this? Well, I thought police are not supposed to chase people. And the comment that I made was that is actually only a New Haven Police Department policy. Right. It's department by department. Right in the city over, you go to East Haven, you go to West Haven, you go to Hamden, they will chase you. They do not have a no chase policy, right? This is only for New Haven. So we don't even have statewide regulations of how police should act and react. So that is the first problem. 
Um, not that, of course, we can't. I don't think that everything can become a national policy, but there should at least be some congruency within states and within neighboring towns as to certain types of police policies. That's really important. So that is what you can look at in your state. Right. What are some or in particularly in your city? What are some of the policies that are specific to your city so that you can hold your police department accountable for that? Now, if we go with we let's go because we're reverse engineering here. So now you're looking at state. Now, let's talk about a city level. Do you know how your police chief is chosen? Right. So who gives the directives, the direct uh, um, action steps for police in your community? That is your police chief. They give those direct action steps. Most people don't even know how the police chief is chosen, right? And it's not chosen the same way in every town. So, for example, we are in New Haven, Connecticut. In New Haven, Connecticut, the police chief is appointed by the mayor, right? So if we have a new mayor, we can get a new police chief, right? So it and the police chief, the police chief, the boss, his boss is the mayor of the city. Right up the road, 50 minutes in Springfield, Massachusetts, uh, where uh, a lot of my family and friends live, they have a sheriff. A sheriff is elected by the people in the town, right? So they have two different motivations on how they police. Police chiefs who are appointed, they are given political uh, um ramifications right so anything that happens in politics the mayor says well we need to solve this so you know this is what i want you to do they have to answer to the mayor in order to retain their job right they got to do what the mayor asks them to do that can be led by politics which are not always in favor of making sure crime is reduced it's just not it's not all politics are not always in favor of everybody um, or any particular um, motion. When you have a police sheriff, their boss is the people, right? So you vote in that sheriff. And if you are voting in your sheriff, then are you actually looking at his record, looking at his stance and things to decide if he's the most appropriate, appropriate person to enforce the law in your particular city? If you're just tuning in, you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm Mubaraka Ibrahim, and you're listening to Mornings with Mubaraka. Uh, today, we are streaming live on Facebook, and we are, if you want to make a comment, you can give me a call here, uh, and you can um, chime in. We're talking about um, politics and policing. Um, and we're that number is two zero three eight seven two seven three five six. Or you can give me a little comment on Facebook. Hey, Facebook people, I see everybody's tuning in. Nobody's saying anything, but I see all of you tuning in. Um, but thank you for tuning in. <laughs> um, when we talk. So we're talking about politics and policing and, and we're trying to now when we are not uh, moved by emotion to react it's time to make an action plan, right? Before we have the next big police shooting or police brutality case, right? We are trying to not just so so prosecuting the 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 action or the crime 
is one thing. So today we're talking about let's prevent it from happening. Let's look at our police departments in our individual states, in our individual cities and towns, and come up with a plan to prevent police brutality, not just to react once it happened and get rid of that one particular officer while all of the other potential cases of police brutality just continues to go about their day, right? It doesn't solve our problem, all right? So, um... So the tech, so we talk, so certainly you need to find out how your police chief is chosen and what um, role that can citizens play in that, right? So if you are a citizen in your city or town and you're and you have a sheriff, so here's the difference: if your police chief is called a police chief, then they are appointed by the mayor. If your police chief is called a sheriff. And it is, then that means that they are voted in, right? So that that's going to give you a, an indication of how is this person chosen. So the second thing is when it comes to police officers. So one of the th- one of the issues I think that, and I think that it is it is quite um, realistic that police they separate themselves from, unfortunately, from the community that they serve. But a part of this is because they their interaction is mostly negative, right? No one calls the police in order to tell them that their son got an A on a report card, right? You call them when you have a problem. And it's sort of, to me, I look at it like, have you ever, um, when, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, we used to do this exper- this little, uh, this little, I guess, like little joke experiment. And you show somebody a white piece of paper and you say, what color is this white? And then you pull it, pull it up. What color is this again? It's white. What color is this? It's white. It's white. If you have them to tell you that the paper is white about three or four times in a row, and then you ask them, what do cows drink? They're going to say milk, right? Because our brain likes to agree with itself, right? So Everybody knows, right, when you think about it, that cows, they produce milk. They don't drink milk. They drink water. But if you are asked in succession of looking at a piece of white paper, you will automatically say most people will automatically say cows drink milk. Right. So I look at the way just the day of a police officer's right when they go in, they have their uh, lineup And they're told about the crime in their neighborhood. And if every day you serve in a black neighborhood and you're only told about the crime in the neighborhood every single day you come to work, that's the only experience that you have. If you're not from that community and you don't know those people, then the only only experience or exposure to people is going to be the bad part of it. This is where police interaction with the community comes in handy. Now, I don't know all of the nuances of community-based policing, but part of it is the police interacting with the community. And one of the reasons why it makes a difference is because of this, right? So I'm going to I'm going to um, say something that maybe seem like it's kind of biased because you know, my husband does it in his neighborhood. So my husband is a New Haven police commander um, and in his district. And one of the things that uh, is, that has been back and forth, <laughs> some people agree with, some people disagree with, is he started doing things like uh, cops and coffee and the cops handing out 
popsicles to kids or the cops handing out ices to the kids, right? So literally just going up to kids in a neighborhood and saying, hey, come here, here, here's an icy um, or here's a popsicle. And, you know, the criticism for it, and several people have said, it. well, that's not going to stop uh, police brutality. That doesn't change systematic racism within a police um, um, within policing. And I would beg to differ. I would certainly beg to differ because one of the problems in policing is this only negative exposure to the community both ways, right? A child, a person, a woman, a man in a neighborhood, they are only interacting with the police in a negative way. So if you include positive interaction, be that having coffee with a cop, the cop giving the kids ICs or, you know, books or anything like that, you now have you've now cut that percentage of negative interaction with police with positive interaction. So I would beg to differ and say it, it does change the system because the system creates an environment for police to only have negative interaction with people. So if you can include in the system the positive interaction, it actually humanizes both the police and the community, right? I think that that is really important. So my argument to that is I disagree. I believe having positive interaction with police is a part of improving the system of policing. That is really, really important. Right. So what I would say as an action step number two. So my action step number one was understand how your police chief is uh, is chosen. My action and what you can do to have a say so in that decision. My action step number two is. Have positive interaction with the police in your town, in your neighborhood, in your community, because that positive interaction is not just for the police. It's also for the community. So police should be reaching out to the community and the community should be reaching out to police. You know, I, I, I remember I think it was a meeting, a community meeting that I was at and um, a gentleman was complaining. He was like. Well, you know, the police sat across from my house in his car. He was just sitting there and I was raking my leaves and he didn't even say hello to me. And in my mind, I'm like, well, did you go say hello to the police? Because, <laughs> you know, it works both ways, right? <laughs> I can see like you said hello and then he didn't roll down his window or something. But like <laughs> it works both ways. It works both ways, people. You, it has to be interaction and initiative both ways because it humanizes the police for the community and it humanizes the community for the police. Um, and so that was, that's my action step number two, right? Interaction with police. And when I positive interaction, I think that that is really, really essential, particularly in um, um, neighborhoods that have high crime, because you have to realize that that is what police are they're there focused on the crime and sometimes you have to they 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 themselves need to be de-escalated that everybody in a neighborhood is not just a criminal right and so you need to humanize yourself and humanize your community um my action step number three is 
become a police officer, right? So I'm let's and I have said this before in the past. And so some of the arguments that I have gotten have been, well, why would you want to join the problem? And I would say be the change. So I'm going to again give you a dis I'm going to repeat my disclaimer that my husband is a police officer and he's been in the police force for the last 21 years. But his story actually inspires me. And I don't know if he actually tells his story of how he became a police officer, because when I married him 25 years ago, he was not a police officer. He was actually a teacher. (laughs) So that was a huge career change. But one of the interesting things about the way he became a police officer that inspires me and is that he actually was a part of a committee that was advocating for holding police accountable to the community to create an all civilian review board. And he would go to these community meetings and he would tear into the police. He would just complain. He would say, this is what you should be doing. And this is what you shouldn't be doing. And he always had a lot to say at these meetings. And so our police chief at the time, Nicholas Pastor, he actually got in touch with him outside of the meeting, had coffee with him and basically told him, if you think you know what police should be doing, then why don't you come become a police officer and show us? (laughs) And so that actually he actually took that advice and he became a police officer. Right. So the complaint and and this is to me the tradition or the way that. African-Americans in particular have handled successfully the systems in the United States. Right. So we have a black president and we've had a black president for eight years, not because he sat back and said, oh, the system is corrupt. I don't want to have anything to do with it. He said, there's things wrong and I want to be in a position where I can change them. Right. That is how we have black people in Congress. We don't have enough black people in Senate. We don't have enough. That's how we have black mayors and we have um, and we we don't have enough. But if you want to change the way that the power is distributed, how people treat the community in power, become one of the people in power. That is a simple solution. It's not, you know, really completely simple. Got to get there. But it is an action step. We should be encouraging people from our community to become police officers. If you are if you understand that when people from outside of your community come in to police your community and the only interaction that they have with your community is the negative interaction of them trying to stop crime and they don't know anybody there. Right. One step it would be to get them to have them actually get to know people. Right. The second step is people from the community need to be advocates and police their own community and do it in an official way and become police officers. This is actually how you create true change. If you want to change the way power is done, become a person in power. This is one of the things that uh, President Barack Obama talked about yesterday is actually taking action. Be the person that becomes the next mayor. 
Be the person that becomes the next senator or the next uh, governor. Be the person that becomes the next police officer. We complain about not our, our police departments not reflecting our community, but are we advocating within our community for people to actually apply for the police department, right? So that is another issue. If your police department needs police officers and people from the community isn't applying, then they can't like recruit. They can't draft police officers from the community. You have to be an advocate for that. Now, in that hiring process, that is your next action step, because I told you I was going to give you action steps. Right. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, you're listening to WNHHLP. 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio. This is Mornings with Mubarakah, and we are talking about politics and policing. Um, we are talking about taking action steps so that we can act rationally and intentionally, and we are not moved to react by emotion, right? So I'm not doing this show because there was some other Horrible police shooting. I'm not doing it because some police officer was got has gotten off from after he committed the crime. I'm doing it because we have not had one of those issues in the last few months. And so this is the time for us to take action steps. When we talk about becoming police officers, the hiring process in policing is another area where you as citizens have to pay attention, right? Is your hiring process unintentionally or maybe it's even intentional? Is it un, like knocking all of minorities out of the box? Is it is the hiring process being done in a way where uh, it's it is intentionally eliminating uh, African-American candidates or women candidates or Hispanic candidates. That's something that you have to look in. It's your right as a citizen to know that. How are people being hired as police officers? Is there is the uh, mental competency Tests. Is is that being uh, administered in a way that's going to weed out the people who are inherently racist? Right. Not saying I actually believe that racists could be rehabbed. Right. But after you become a police officer is not really the time to do that. You need to do it earlier than that. Right. We have to figure out a way. And I think that this is for everybody, no matter what community that you're in. How is it? That you have besides this conditioning that happens once they're in the police department. Right. How is it that some departments have so many discriminatory and racist police officers? Right. And also look at it. in again, I say we have to focus on our communities. We have to focus on our own towns. Every place is not Ferguson. Right. Here in New Haven, Connecticut. Um. We did have a police-involved shooting this past summer um, of, a, uh, of a gentleman who was high on crack cocaine and tried to run the police officer over, and he was shot in the leg. <laughs> but we haven't had, actually in New Haven, a police officer kill anyone in I, I maybe over a decade. So I say that 
so that you can understand that you have to really focus on your community. Is the New Haven Police Department perfect? Of course it's not perfect. We've had officers, we have officer complaints of excessive force. We have, you know, inappropriate behavior. We have other issues. And so we have to take care of the issues in our own community, right? Protesting against the New Haven Police Department when something happens in Ferguson is not conducive for the New Haven Police Department. That's not going to uh, it's not going to change anything because it's not an issue for the New Haven Police Department. Protesting what the New Haven Police Department is doing themselves, that is going to be more effective for you. Right. So you have to understand, like, what is the point of your protests? Right. Can protests be effective? Of course they can be effective. It shows the collective voice of the people. Politicians pay attention to that because the voice of the people is their votes and that's how they get their job. That's why voting is so important. So you want to make sure that you understand what's going on in your town. We are going to. So that was my third action step. Right. So if you're just tuning in, we're talking about action steps for um politics and policing and the first action step was understanding how your police chief is hired the police chief and what is his policies and his philosophy on policing that is really 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 important the second thing that we as we're talking about when we talk about action steps is police and community interaction and how we have to create a positive interaction so police are not only having negative interactions with the community and it goes both ways community so they can humanize the police for the community and humanize the community for the police the third is be the change become a police officer gear your kids towards that as an actual viable option it is a in most communities it is a very well respected very well paid job and it is a it it's an honor to serve the community how can you make a difference as a police officer how can you make a difference it can be a way of keeping kids on you can't become a police officer if you have a record right so if you got a teenager that's thinking about becoming a police officer that can be an incentive for him to stay out of trouble right you want to be a police officer one day you so here's something that most people actually don't understand is you do not need a college degree to become a police officer. <laughs> now, it's really helpful for you to have a college degree <laughs> to actually understand a little bit about policy. However, you do not need a college degree to become a police officer. So if you have a kid that everybody is not college bound, we would love to say, oh, everybody's going to go to college, get their bachelor's and go on to their Ph.D. But everybody is not college material. If you have a kid that just doesn't want to go to college, becoming a police officer may be a viable option for them. Do they want to serve the community? Do they want to make a difference? Right. Being a police officer, you can make a difference in your community. So identify kids in your community, young people who want to do that. They retire in 20 years, 25 years sometimes in some departments and That doesn't matter how old they are. It's a good job. It is a good job. So when you talk about benefits, you're talking about pay, you're talking about retirement. It is a good job to have. So why aren't we 
encouraging our kids to do this. So I think that that is that's action steps, particularly for the African-American community, the immigrant community, the Muslim community, these communities that are being targeted. We have to both initiate ourselves and our young people to be get into politics, become law enforcement. Those things are going to be really important in the survival of our communities in the future. In some cases, literally the survival of our communities in the future. So we have to make sure that we know what the action steps are. And we are, are gearing our kids and ourselves towards taking those steps so that in the future, when we talk about um, systematic injustice, and I put that in quotation marks, we know what creates the system, right? What are the policies that create the system? What are the result of those policies that create the system? And how can we change it? We have to reverse engineer that. And more importantly, we need people with good character. We need people in, with good character in these positions of authority. Why? Because your character is going to dictate the way you do your job. We see that now more than ever, more blatantly, more blatantly than ever. We see that your character is going to dictate the way that you do your job. Right. So an example of that is if you don't believe climate change is real, then you will appoint somebody <laughs> over her environmental protection that doesn't believe that climate change is real. <laughs> so that's just like crazy to me. So what you believe, your beliefs, your, <laughs> your morals, your ethics, it's going to translate into how you do that job. And if that job is a job of authority, it can make a difference in a good way and it can make a difference in a bad way. So you want to make we want. And so we want to make sure that that is the the mantra going forward. Let's work locally. Let's work within our communities to make change. If we all can in our individual communities make change there. And make it and make it change for the better. Our country is a collection of our communities. It's a collection of our cities. It's a collection of our states. We are the United States of America. We have individual states and representatives of those states for a reason, right? So we work within our community. So I encourage you to, if you are at all concerned with police brutality, if you are at all concerned with how the police in this country deal with minority communities and deal with crime and deal with um, and deal with immigrant policy, uh, deal with their policy um, of LGBT, the community, if you are at all concerned with those things and if you were one of those people that you're sharing all of the videos of people who are who are uh, beating uh, officers who are beating people up and shooting people. If you're sharing those, share this one, too, because we have to create action steps. Right. If you're one of those sharers, you have to share this one as well so that we can create action steps to make a change so that we don't have to share another video of uh, unarmed black man or Hispanic man or even a white man 
being killed unjustifiably from police. We have to create the change now so that we can avoid the problem. Firing the officer, prosecuting the officer, charging the officer with a crime. It is a bandage on a good on on a bullet wound. That's what it is. Right. You can't bandage a bullet wound because only thing's going to happen is that it's just going to continue. It's going to continue to bleed us. Continue. The blood is going to continue to flow. So we have to take practical steps now so that we can avoid this from happening in the future. So that is my that is my action steps and my my hopefully my encouragement to you. And hopefully you will take some of these steps as an empowerment for you to create change in your community. It's really important that we we take our communities back. Right. We're not just, you know, a bunch of sheep that have been gathered together for the slaughtering of our uh, political forces to be. Right. We are a country where we are we are the people, the people who make this country up. And we have to take that responsibility seriously. We have to take that responsibility as a person and not just say, when we just sit around and complain and we say, well, you know, it's never going to change. Then it's never going to change. If you believe it is going to happen, then you're right. If you believe that it's not going to happen, then you're also right. Because if you're not contributing to the solution, then you are contributing to the problem. So we have to go forward remembering this when we share stuff on social media, when we speak out. We have to not just talk about the problems, but I am committing myself, particularly in this upcoming year, in the next four years, to talk about the solutions to the problem, right? It's not just about recognizing there is a problem is only step one. It's only step one. It doesn't solve the problem, right? I want to thank you for listening to me today and thank all my people on Facebook who uh, watch me Facebook Live. Hello, salamu alaikum. Thank you for uh, tuning in and your comments. Um, and if you're just tuning in, then you got to catch us on iTunes and iClouds because this is Mornings with Mubaraka and we've been streaming live on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio, also streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. Mornings with Mubaraka is a Wednesday morning talk show that talks about national issues from a local level through a lens of diversity. I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to remind you before I signed off, be a voice and not an echo.